Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today on the program, James Collins encourages us to finish our course, and Josh Peck returns to continue unpacking what he believes to be the second coming of the new age. Our Winter Virtual Prophecy Conference is going on all this week. You can get access to 12 different speakers presenting over 20 sessions all online and all on demand. Register today and start watching as often as you want from today through Friday. Visit swrc.com and click on events. That's swrc.com and click on events. Christian churches have unknowingly encouraged occult beliefs and practices far removed from what the Bible teaches. This unfortunate reality is intrinsically linked to the popularity increase of New Age spirituality in the 21st century. Our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, welcomes former New Ager Josh Peck back to Watchmen on the Wall to continue their look at the second coming of the New Age. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to your Watchman on the Wall broadcast of Southwest Radio Church. We're going to continue our previous discussion with Josh Peck. He is one of the authors of the book, The Second Coming of the New Age. This is a tremendous book. It's well-written, some 400-plus pages, all documented, and you will find some very unusual things that maybe you didn't know about the New Age movement. Maybe you didn't even know about your pastor or your church, you're going to be in for a shock. This is the kind of material that all Christians need to know about. Josh, thank you so much for being with us once again. Well, thank you so much for having me back on. I really enjoyed our last conversation, and I'm looking forward to this one. Well, what I like about you guys up at Skywatch, you do your research, you're excited about the Lord, you know the power of the blood, you believe in the Holy Spirit, still working today, all good things. And when we get into these areas, there is so much of a spiritual nature, like we just spoke about in our previous program. But let's talk about UFOs and alien invasions. Do New Agers believe that aliens will come and maybe give us the true meaning of Christianity and that the information we have now, information from the Bible, is not true and maybe corrupt? Many of them do. You know, not every New Ager will deal with the alien question, but a lot of them will, and that is, by and large, the conclusion that they draw. So there's this whole narrative today that really gets promulgated by shows like Ancient Aliens, but, you know, it's been going on for quite some time that possibly alien beings on another world created us. Now, what's great about that for the New Ager is it gets them at least mentally, you know, away from the idea of God as our creator, although that's really easy to get them back on track because you just have to ask, well, who created them then? Who created the aliens? And they tend not to really think about that. They stay at the stage of alien. So they'll believe that, but it also gets them away from that personal accountability that we talked about last time. Every human being, we have a carnal side in us that wants to be our own God, and as Christians, we let the Holy Spirit, we let Jesus, in learning through humility and humbleness and trying to stay away from pride, we learn how to control and to kind of tamp down that carnal nature. We're not always perfect at it. We sin, but that's how we live our lives. We try to keep that in check. New Agers, people who aren't Christians, they're just carnal. They're not going to go out of their way to tamp that down. They're going to think of it as a good thing, and that's what promotes this whole self-godhood deal. So what's great about the whole alien creator thing for the New Ager is aliens don't care how you live your life. You know, Mm -hmm. aliens aren't coming down here right now in UFOs and telling you 
what to do. The only thing that they'll tell you, coincidentally enough, is the stuff you already believe in if you're a new ager. Mm. And I've sifted through many alien abduction scenarios, accounts, you know, and most often if the beings that kidnapped the human being, no matter what race or species of alien this is supposed to be, whether it's a gray or a mantid or a Nordic or whatever the species of so-called alien, they always promote this same doctrine. And it's heavily new age. It's raising your consciousness kind of stuff. And so the whole message of new age with the whole alien question is that, yes, someday these beings are going to come visit us and they're going to, they'll always say this, they'll give us technology and they will raise our consciousness. I have never heard a single one explain what raise our consciousness means. (laughs) Even when I was in new age, I didn't know what it means. I know what give us technology means. You know, that's just aliens giving us technology. I get the concept of that. They're going to raise our consciousness. Like when we as explorers, you know, explored the world and found some native tribes on some other corner of the earth, did we raise their consciousness? So they'll say things like that, that when you really think about it for, you know, more than five or ten seconds, you can see how it doesn't really make sense. And you can use those gently to try to witness to a new ager. I would not recommend mocking or making fun of them or trying to get the intellectual upper hand. You want to hear them out, let them talk, let them feel heard, because then they'll hear you, hopefully. But gently, with those types of arguments and just following the logical line of what they're presenting, they're pretty easy to dismantle. And the alien creator thing is a great example of that. Mm, Wow. I've been thinking, in fact, this morning, I've been reading your book and so forth, and of all possible illustrations of judgment and the last days that Jesus could choose from, he used the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And of course, we know that the days of Noah were the days of the giants, the Nephilim. So why did Jesus focus on this as an illustration of where we are now in the last days? And this is amazing, too, to point to this time, this genetic corruption of humanity. When you read throughout the Bible, that's the only time that it happens except for possibly in prophecy. And I would even go as far as to say probably in prophecy, where we see the same type of event. And a good verse was what Jesus said about the days of Noah. He could have picked any time to talk about what the end times would be like, any time at all. But he picked the days of Noah. Most people think of the flood. But when we read through prophecy, the world isn't ended in a flood. Actually, at the very end, before the new heavens and new earth, it's ended by fire. So it's a different ending. That would be comparable to the flood, but that's after all the tribulation. That's when Jesus returns. So what about before? Well, what happened before the flood? You have, again, the Nephilim, the genetic corruption of fallen angel DNA into humanity. How exactly that works, I don't know. But that's what Scripture says happened. Well, today, and I don't think it's a coincidence... Today, we have these otherworldly beings who are, at least it's claimed, that they have a hybridization program. They Mm. abduct people, they take their genetic material, and they create hybrids of them and us. That is exactly what we read in Genesis. Mm. Now, what happens a lot today are shows like Ancient Aliens. They'll take the Genesis account and they'll say, well... That's aliens. They mistook those beings as angels, but really it was aliens from another planet. Well, I say, flip that around. They were always angels. We're mistaking them as aliens today. We're the ones that are wrong. Mm. And we see that promulgated a lot, and it's even getting more accepted in the church, at least this idea, not necessarily that aliens are our creators, but that they 
exist. There's intelligent life out there. They're interacting with us, and who knows what to do about right. it. But Christianity is kind of slowly but surely accepting some of this alien creator stuff. I think you're very right. And, you know, you were speaking about genetic manipulation. When we go back to Genesis 3.15, the uh, proto-evangelium, as they call it, it speaks about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So seed, descendants, there's something involved here. And then when you look at some of the freakish creatures in the book of Revelation, they could only come about through some kind of genetic manipulation. And what are we doing today in the laboratory? A lot of genetic manipulation. This is really creepy, but it's also very prophetic. Yeah, absolutely. And the exciting thing for us as Christians is we can look at that and see that time is really short. And that's not a scary thing. You know, as Christians, we have nothing but wonderful things to look forward to from God. Now, we're going to have hardships on the earth. We're going to go through trials and tribulations as individual Christians. We're promised that. We are not promised an easy physical life, but we are promised a blissful eternal life. So we as Christians, because it's been prophesied, we can see this stuff ramping up in our day today. So that can do two things for us, I think. One, we can actually take comfort in knowing that the time is short because Jesus is coming back soon, and there's just a lot of wonderful promises for Christians. But two, it should get us motivated, knowing that time is short, and at any moment, I mean, the whole official disclosure movement has already begun. That's been going on since late 2017. The government has been more open about UFOs, and at the same time, these UFOs, these crafts, seem to be getting more hostile, or at least more daring, towards our own Navy. So that's an issue that the world is now having to deal with. That was never the case before. I mean, the the government's admitting that there are unknown things in our skies. So just knowing that we live in that time where that actually happened, I mean, it's got to be times are short. But while we're still here, while the Lord tarries, we need to get busy, get to work, study. We need to understand what the Bible actually says. So when deception comes along, we'll have an easy time refuting it. When you speak about deception, that's really the gist of my next question. The New Testament clearly makes a distinction between illness, which is a medical condition, physical, and demonic oppression or even possession, which is in a different realm. Now, I'm looking at Mark 134. It says that Jesus healed many that were sick of divers' diseases. That's physical. And cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak. So there was a time when all bizarre behavior was considered demonic. And, of course, that's wrong. All bizarre Mm. behavior is not due to demonic influence. But some of it is. So how can we tell the difference? Because some of the things that I see people doing, even here in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City is almost like a country town compared to Los (laughs) Angeles and New York City. But there are really some weird people, pardon the expression. (laughs) And I know some families, they have kids. How can we tell a difference between maybe a psychiatric condition, a chemical imbalance, or maybe they just fell on their head or something, and actual demonic activity in the lives of a person? That is such a good question, and it is that exact question why I'm not in the medical field right now. (laughs) Because as a Christian, I wouldn't know, and even if you were sure that it was a case of demonic possession, in our current culture, if you do anything about it, you could get in serious trouble. Yes. So I like just avoiding the whole medical field, but I appreciate doctors and nurses that are out there doing good work. I think the way that you tell is you witness to them and see what happens. Mm, Wow. Now, there's more extreme signs. An actual, true, demonically possessed person, it's going to be obvious because they're going to be 
blaspheming God. They're going to be rolling around going crazy. In the extreme cases, it's obvious. But in cases of things like demonic oppression, where maybe the demon isn't taking control of the body, but is oppressing the individual, which I think that happens far more often. I think that could happen in almost just every person has dealt with that at one point or another. In those cases, I think the best thing to do is to present them with the gospel. Because here's the thing. I don't believe that a demon can truly be exercised or truly be barred from an individual's life in totality. I don't believe that can happen unless that person submits to Jesus. Mm. I think if the person doesn't wow. become a Christian, if they don't submit to Jesus, then they're kind of free game for the enemy. So right. if they don't do that, you might be able to get the demon out once, but what did Jesus say? You know, yeah. He'll go to the dry places, grab seven more, and then wait till right. an opportune time wow. to do it again, even worse. So that kind of thing happens. The best thing to do, present the gospel. If they accept it, great. Then deal with the demon stuff, because you're actually (laughs) going to be able to through the authority in Jesus and know that it's a long-lasting, forever kind of solution. If they don't accept it, pray for them the best that you can, and then just kind of avoid them. (laughs) Right. Mm. Shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next town. Right. That would be my personal advice. I was saved many, many years ago in a Reformed church, and I was decidedly amillennial. I'm pre-millennial now, but I was decidedly amillennial. <laughs> and then in 1993, I was pastoring in Tennessee, and I was getting the Southern Baptist Mission magazine, and more and more of the testimonies of Southern Baptists were sounding like the testimonies of Pentecostal because they were speaking about demonic activity. And one of yeah. the missionaries I know personally, I went to seminary with him, he was in a remote area of India where no one spoke English. They didn't even speak the normal language. It was someplace up against the Himalaya Mountains. So he and his wife were there. They had started a little church. I think they had 10 or 12 people. And one of the men said, boy, you've got to meet this woman. We think she's demon-possessed. So this missionary went, and he, he knew the language. And here was this woman. He took out his Bible. He started to witness to her. And she snarled with a deep guttural voice and spoke to him and cursed Jesus in perfect English. Now, nobody knows English. So that right away, my amillennialism, which said we're now living in the millennium, just went out the window. I said, you know, if Satan is bound now and this is happening, and there were more and more testimonies of that sort. So what I see is that contemporary American evangelicalism talks about Scripture in a believing way, but the activity of spirits and demons is basically being ignored. Now, I remember Chris Putnam. You worked with Chris. He spoke about that, and he spoke out that Christians in India and Africa take the spirit world very seriously. And he even quoted a missionary who was in India, and the native Christians there said, You missionaries from America, you are a secularizing influence because you don't believe in demons. You don't believe in the realm of darkness. You don't believe in Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So this was all very revelational to me. I was saying, wow, Wow. is it true (laughs) that (laughs) demons actually exist? And of course they do. The Bible makes it very oh, yeah. clear, Mark chapter 1. So I think too many of us, now I don't include myself and certainly not Skywatch. I know you guys believe in that <laughs> demonic realm, and I certainly believe in it because we believe in the Absolutely. Bible. 
But I think that's one of the great weaknesses of evangelicals today. You know, we speak yes. about the Bible, but we focus on John 3.16 and all this other very important material that we need to be preaching about because it's real. It provides a danger to us we ignore. And I think that's one of the great weaknesses in the evangelical community today. Yeah, I totally agree, and especially in the American Christianity community, because a lot of other parts of the world, especially if they're not as secularized, they do believe in spirits, and so they do see things more than we would. I think there's a deception over America specifically and some other countries too, but it's a secular deception. It's causing Christians, really the whole country, because we do live in a very secular culture here in America. But the weird thing is, Supposedly, Christians make up the majority, so how does that work? It's because (laughs) Christians are accepting the secularism as well, and they're getting into things like New Age and aliens and to satisfy their spiritual cravings. But when it comes to Christianity, a lot of Christians will secularize that. They believe that they're making it more palatable. Generally, Christians want to get other people saved, and mistakenly, they think that if they kind of modernize the gospel or make it more palatable, that they'll have a greater chance of getting somebody saved. And while that may or may not be, Jesus did say that there would be people that would accept the truth, but they would be easily deceived. The whole parable of the birds and the seed, and only one-fourth of the seed actually grew. Now, I'm not saying that exactly one-fourth of people who hear the gospel will accept it, but the point is the majority of people, even if they do accept it, they're going to fall away, unfortunately. Now we have had great revivals, and I think we're on the brink of another one very soon. Yes. And thank God for that. But by and large, that does happen a lot, and human beings will go to these other things. So whatever Satan has in mind for America, it has something to do with secularism, not believing there's a God, you know, not focusing on the spirit world, and if you do, it's only for your own selfish intentions, because the self-godhood stuff in the New Age, and there is an American spirituality, it's New Age, unfortunately. Yes, yes. Even a lot of secular people have beliefs or leanings towards New Age, and they don't even know it. So there's a huge deceptive demonic cloud over the country that I think is affecting a lot of things. You just mentioned about revival. I'm working on a book, Revival in the Last Days, How God is Changing the World and His People for an end-time harvest. And I agree with you. I think God is setting things up. In fact, I think this nonsense about COVID-19, people are really disillusioned with pandemics, and they're waking up, and they're seeing what's going on. And you probably know Dr. Stella Emanuel. She is one of the frontline doctors who has had great success with HCQ and ivermectin. Now, she's from Africa. She's a medical Mm -hmm. doctor. She has Rehoboth Clinic in Houston. She's a tremendous Christian woman of faith. And like like I say, an MD, but she also has a deliverance ministry. Oh, wow. She's tremendous. The pro-vaccine doctors are regarding her as a nutcase when, in fact, she knows the reality (laughs) of the powers of darkness. And I think it's so wonderful how the Lord is raising men and women, medical doctors who know the truth of the Word of God and about that middle realm of the demonic. And I think this is very exciting, but of course, there's great danger from the new age. Josh, thank you so much, brother. It's always a delight. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you so much again, Larry. You guys are doing great as well, and it was really good talking to you again. Our guest has been Josh Peck. He's the co-author of The Second Coming of the New Age.
Get Josh Peck and Larry Spargimino's complete conversation about the second coming of the new age on CD by calling 1-800-652-1144. Or download our app and listen to current and past programs of Watchmen on the Wall. Simply search SWRC in your app store and download the SWRC app today. Josh Peck's powerful look at the resurgence of the new age in our churches and what we can do to stop its influence is found in his book, The Second Coming of the New Age. Get this book when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul compared his life to a runner finishing his race. On today's edition of The Bible Says, staff evangelist James Collins discusses the principle of staying the course. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. These are some of the last words of the Apostle Paul. He was in a cold Roman prison cell waiting for an emperor named Nero to come and cut his head off. Paul spent his last days writing a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. And notice that he compares his life to a runner crossing the finish line. He said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have finished my course. You see, each and every one of us has a course. Your course is not my course, and my course is not your course. But everybody that finishes and stays on track will receive a reward, the victor's crown. So my encouragement to you today is to stay on course and don't quit. You know, I recently made a resolution to get into better shape. I'd like to spend more time running on the treadmill. Now, before I go any farther, I have to make a confession. I'm battling a very serious problem in my life. I have a, a very serious addiction. It's true. I, I have a, an addiction. I'm addicted to snickerdoodle cookies. I really am. I love snickerdoodle cookies. Someone made a tub of snickerdoodle cookies for our family for Christmas, and I waited until everyone was asleep, and I ate the whole tub all by myself. I did. I really did. I love snickerdoodle cookies, and I'm weak. I'm weak. My addiction is bad. There's a gym not far from my house, so I decided that I would go there and get on the treadmill every day. On the first day, I got my running gear on, and I headed to the gym. Now, in the hallway, there were several vending machines, and when I walked past those vending machines to go into the gym, I glanced through the glass, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Grandma's Snickerdoodle Cookies. The vending machine was full of Grandma's Snickerdoodle Cookies. I mean, they had filled up half the spaces in the machine with Snickerdoodle Cookies. So I ran back to my car, and I got a dollar. I came back, and I got some Grandma's Snickerdoodle Cookies. The next day when I went to the treadmill, I already had my dollar in my shorts. And then on the third day, I didn't even go to the treadmill. I just went straight to the vending machine. Now, I know that's a silly story, but do you know what happened? I got off track. One day, each of us will appear at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. There we will bow before his pierced feet. And I pray that at that moment, you don't say, Lord, you gave me talents and abilities to serve you, and I've got nothing to show for it. 
You see, Jesus never fails. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus never fails, but we, you and I, we can fail Jesus. Do you want to go into eternity knowing that Jesus finished what he started for you, but you didn't finish what you started for him? That he didn't quit on you, but you quit on him? I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what you're going through in your life. Maybe you're going through the worst trial that you've ever experienced, but don't quit. Hang in there. Jesus didn't quit on you. Don't quit on him. Joseph Aqua was one of the greatest marathon runners of all time. In 1968, the Tanzanian runner was the favorite to finish first in the Olympic Games in Mexico City, Mexico. Joseph was the best in the world. In all the qualifying races, he had finished either first or second. On the day of the marathon, Joseph Aqua ran out onto the track in the stadium to the cheers of 70,000 fans. Now, the marathon route started on the track in the stadium. Then it went out and ran for 26.2 miles around the city. It concluded with a final lap back in the stadium, and Joseph Aqua was favored to win. But on the day of the race, he struggled. At the 20-mile mark, he was in the lead, but he began to stumble, and he began to cramp up. Joseph didn't see the runner come up next to him, and he stumbled into that runner, and they both fell out into the street. The other runner, after a moment, was able to recover and get up, but not Joseph Aqua. He severely dislocated his right shoulder and his right knee. He was scraped up, and he was bleeding. The ambulance came, and they got Joseph off to the side, and they worked on him. And after about an hour, Joseph Aqua got up and said, I'm finishing this race. The doctor there told him that he was crazy. The doctor said that he was too injured to continue. The doctor said that he was about an hour behind the last place runner. He said, don't do it, man. But Joseph Aqua stumbled and staggered back out onto the street. With every step, excruciating pain ran through his body. He limped, dragged himself, until he made it back to the stadium. There weren't 70,000 fans in the stadium like when he started. There were only about 2,000. But Joseph Aqua limped and staggered around the track until he walked across the finish line. When it was over, reporters ran up and stuck cameras and microphones in his face. They said, why? Why, Joseph? Why did you put yourself through all that pain and all that agony? Why? You had no hope of placing. Joseph Aqua looked into the camera and said, my country did not send me 10,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 10,000 miles to finish a race. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. God sent me here today to tell you this. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, didn't save you to start a race. He saved you to finish. He didn't fill you with the Holy Spirit to start. He filled you and saved you to finish. So don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. In Jesus' name. This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Today we are offering Josh Peck's book, The Second Coming of the New Age, and his DVD, The Great Delusion. Order both of these important resources by calling 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online 
swrc.com. Tomorrow, James Collins visits with David Bay about the false prophet who is soon to step on the world stage. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.